tonight. Well, welcome to Grace Point Church. Uh, hopefully you have been along for the ride last week as we started this, this journey, and hopefully you will stay with us for the remaining time, and hopefully the truly we have more than 30 days to live. But I hope that we are beginning now to evaluate where we are, who we are, where we're going, and what this is all about. Um, I don't know about you, but there are people in this world that light a fire in me. Uh, they, they're the, they are the people that are passionate about life. There's something about them. There's momentum underneath them, even if what they're going about has, um, I, I may not even agree with it, but if they have passion, if they're, if they're excited about it, if you can't stop them, if you just can only steer them at best, those people I want to get behind. I want to be behind their movement. They're, again, whatever it may be, there's something about passion that's contagious. Pa- passion within uh, is something that I hope that you have. Uh, it, but the thing about passion is it will move you at times, listen to this, beyond the rational. It will move you at times to the irrational. It, it will move you at times to even be a little bit reckless. Now, if it's your goal to go through life and to not have any bumps and bruises, then maybe this message isn't for you. But if you're to go through life and to get as much out and to contribute as much to life as possible with as much energy as possible, then you're going to need this element called passion. Because passion will take you. But also, again, passion will may take you into the face of danger. Whenever I think about Christ and the way he lived his life, he was a person of passion. There's no doubt about that. When he lived his life, he ran towards the fire. He didn't run from the fire. And when you think about it, and we even shared this verse last week, Luke 9, 51, when his days were coming to a close, when they were drawing near, it says in Luke, it says that he went, he put his face toward Jerusalem. It was like, this is where I'm about. This is what I'm about. This is where I came. This is where I'm going. And now what was Jerusalem? What was Jerusalem about? Was it, was it going to be the great big pep rally that he had, his kingdom would be a stamp? No. Yeah, he had a pep rally and one day they're hailing him on one day and they're nailing him on the next. They're yelling, crucify him. So when he went to Jerusalem, he was not going to a party. He, he was going to death. He was literally staring death in the face, but he set his face in that direction. Jesus was by far a man of tremendous amounts of passion, even to the point of being a little irrational, even to the point of being almost like a lunatic, if you will. Because some people would say, you don't go towards, you don't go towards death, you run from death. But Jesus himself went towards another example in the life of Christ. Jesus has been traveling all day, been with his disciples, been busy about ministry, and all of a sudden they're moving locations, and Jesus says, I must needs, in the King James Version, I must needs go through Samaria. And so they go where Jews don't go. They went through Samaria, and they were with the Samaritans, and they come upon this well, and they've been traveling all day, and Jesus, it says in the Word that Jesus was tired, speaks of his humanity. He's as much God as he was man, as much man as he was God. And at this moment, the humanity was great. And he was tired. And so he sits down by the well. The disciples go on into town, and they get food to eat. Now, there's, an, there's, a, there's a little bit of a conversation that happens around the well. And I know most of us know that story where there's this woman, the Samaritan woman, who has a lifestyle that none of us would admire to this day. 
has had multiple marriages, multiple. And in fact, the person she's living with right, right now is not even not even her husband. So this is a person. This is a lady who hasn't got on track yet with life. And as she's moving through life, she runs into Jesus. While he's hanging out at the well, he asks for a cup of water. The woman and them have this conversation that goes on. And again, the message isn't about that conversation as much as it's about the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, which is an amazing conversation, though it's so brief. Because what happens is the disciples come back with food, ready to eat, ready to prepare. I don't know if they went through McDonald's drive-thru or what, but they come back with the food and they're ready to eat. And as he says, hey, Jesus, in my own paraphrased version, are you ready to eat? It's time to eat. The food is here. Jesus makes this statement. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he goes right on in the conversation. He goes right on in this transforming relationship. He goes right on about what he came to be about. Now listen, that's irrational. When you've been traveling all day, you're hot and tired, and you sit down by a well, and the guys have brought back food for you and all the consideration that they put into the food and getting food for you, and then now you turn down food. Now listen, I love food. I'm Baptist. Okay, I grew up Baptist. Fried chicken was a regular part of life, okay? And so as you think about that, food is a... can be an idol for people, but for Jesus it was not. He said, my food, what I live for, I will turn down food even though I'm hungry. I will turn down a natural body, bodily desire because I have a greater aim and passion about my life. And that is to do the will of him who sent me. That's the food that I'm going to take in. What are you irrational about? What are you resolute about? What are you almost a lunatic about? I want to challenge you to find something in this world that will so stir you that you will become irrational almost, passionate. You will become crazy about. If you only have 30 days or 30 years to live, then I hope that you will spend all of those days, all all of that time pursuing that with all of your heart. Because what do we do? We measure life in time, but yet so much of the time we waste. So if we waste time, what are we in essence doing? We're wasting life. We only get one of these suckers, all right? We only get one of these, one go at it. There's not multiple goes at this. There's there's one go at life. I don't want to waste this life. I want my life to count. I want it to make an impact. And if it means giving up things that I would naturally want, if it means going towards the fire, as Jesus did, if it means all of that, then I want to be about that. I want to be passionate about something, something that will keep me awake at night, something that will stir me. Jack Welch a crusty old hard-nosed former CEO of, of GE said it like this. There are times when a leader cannot be this thoughtful in-the-corner guru. He cannot be a moderate, balanced, thoughtful, careful, articulate of policy. You've got to be a lunatic fringe. You've got to get out of the fringe. You've got to get something so crazy about that you will move heaven and earth to get there. What is it in your life? that you're so crazy about. Paul wrestles with this as he's encouraging the believers in Rome when he tells them, he says this, he says, never be lacking in zeal. 
but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Don't be lacking in zeal. Have a fire in your bones. Even Jeremiah the prophet, whenever he was trying to keep inside of him the word of God and and not speaking it, he says, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I can't not speak it. What is it in your life? Listen, listen to this. What is it in your life that gets you up in the morning? Not the alarm clock, not the bills. What is it in your life that gives you the motivation to live another day? That makes you passionate about your life and about the world in which you live? Find it. Now, don't go invent it necessarily. Listen to God. What is He speaking and breathing into you? Where is He leading you? How much is He a part of your life? How much is what your passion is it driving you to God? Howard Thurman said this, and he was a big instigator and a big motivator in the, in the life of Martin Luther King. But he made, a, he made a statement that I think is pretty profound. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What is it that makes you come alive? Again, it keeps you awake at night. Create something, if it be, or maybe listen and find out where God is moving and then join Him in that and let that make you alive. Take your Bibles, be finding the book of Luke, chapter 5. We'll be there in a moment. And I want us to think about Luke and a story that happens in Luke that you might not have read on a regular basis, at least from the perspective that we're going to read it from today. Now, last week I asked you a question as we started this 30-day journey. We asked you a question, what would you do differently if you only had 30 days to live. And hopefully you've given it some time to think. We had some people tweet on it, and so it's out there. You can look at it, and we've got a few that floating around that you, can, that you can read between services or something. But I want to give you another question today. And I want you to really reflect on it. Think about it. Spend some time with it. And again, I encourage you to even tweet this question uh, this week. Is it just fill in the blank? Here it is. I am passionately irrational about what? I am passionately irrational. And when I say irrational, I'm not saying that you truly are irrational and you truly are a lunatic, but I'm saying that the world looks at you when you are so driven and crazy in love with this idea that they would look at you and say, that's just not right. That's just, that's, just out, that's just beyond the parameters of, of, of my thinking. What is it that you are passionately irrational about? Let us know what it is, and we want to know what it is, so we want to celebrate with you and hopefully put you and I on a path of pursuing something that God has put in our hearts. So I want us to ask the question today, how can I live, if I only have 30 days to live, how can I live passionately irrational? Almost like a lunatic. How can I be resolute about something out there that will get me up in the morning, that will cause me to live as much as I can, as far as I can, go as, as long as I can? In the, in the Gospel of Luke, we're looking at a story that takes place in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a port city on the northwest uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus gets out of the boat. He walks into the Capernaum. Capernaum is a very regular 
port city for Jesus to go in the visit. In fact, you'll find that most of his ministry, many of his miracles, many of his parables were told in the city of Capernaum. It was a very popular place. It wasn't where he was from. Jesus was from Nazareth. But Capernaum kind of becomes the hub of a lot of his ministry to the point that the very first time we learn of the Pharisees from the Gospel of Luke, we hear of them in Capernaum. In fact, we hear of them, and maybe they came to Capernaum from Jerusalem. We don't know where they came from, how they arrived on the scene. But they stirred a pot enough that they began to come around. Jesus' ministry is full-blown going now. People are coming from all over the region uh, to come to him in Capernaum. I've been able to stand in first century floor of the synagogue in in, in Capernaum. And I, I can just say... From a, from a pastor, from a believer's perspective, to think that I might be walking where Jesus walked and where Jesus taught was, a, was an awe-inspiring moment for me. But I, I want you to think about this encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. There's also another character that you'll be introduced to here, and they're the scribes. Now, the scribes, well, the Pharisees were the self-appointed keepers of the law, all right, and interpreters of the law. The scribes, right along with them, they worked in cohorts with one another, is they worked and they were the ones who were the keepers of the writings of the scriptures. Obviously, the Gutenberg Press wasn't invented by then, and they were the ones who, with meticulous detail, they were the most educated people, and they would set and diligently copy the scriptures and be able to pass them on. So they, too, knew the word very, very well. And they didn't like Jesus. In fact, they had a, ge- they had a real angst with Jesus. They wanted to crucify Jesus, and they are successful at that. But they wanted to deal, deal with Jesus, and here they, Jesus is teaching in Capernaum. There's so many people from all over that are, th- that are there that there's this one sick person who can't get to Jesus. The crowd is so vast, so mass, there's a, there's a no access, sold out, whatever you want to say. You couldn't get to Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 5, we want to read from this passage in, in, in a moment about, about what happens whenever these guys encounter Jesus. But I want us to not so much focus on Jesus. It may sound strange. I want us not so much focus on the Pharisees and the scribes today. I want to focus on the context. I want to focus on the supporting actors, the supporting characters to the story. I want to focus on the unnamed and the unknown. I want to focus on a paralyzed man and a band of brothers. And I want to focus on them. Now, there's a lot to say about, about what Jesus says to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say to Jesus. And we're going to skip across that real quickly. But I want to focus in and maybe look at your life and their life and how much you are you like the paralyzed man? How much are you like the the passionate band of brothers that helps get this paralyzed man to Jesus. And so think about it like that. And I want, I want us to just draw out from their life some, maybe some principles that will help us live this passionate, driven, uh, irrational kind of life. Okay, so jot these down, if you will, as we go along. One is I would hope as you look at these characters, these band of brothers, the unnamed and unknown people, I hope that you'll see that they did something drastic. And I hope that you will hear a call today to do something drastic. That's a passionate person. A passionate person doesn't accept excuses. They see excuses as opportunities. They see excuses as challenges. 
where many times in our life we use excuses, listen to this, to stop us in our tracks, to keep us from moving forward. Let me show show this to you. Look at verse 17 and following. In one of, these, one of those days, he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee. Now, he's on the Sea of Galilee, and that's the Galilee region, so you would expect people from Galilee there. But also there were people there from Judea, a whole other region, and from Jerusalem, a couple of days' journey. So can you imagine now the popularity that has spread throughout the land of this man named Jesus? People are coming from all over, a couple of days' journey, to just get to hear the teaching of Jesus. The place was packed, and a power of the Lord was on him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing a, a, a bed, uh, on, on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him to lay him before Jesus. That's what they came for. Now, where do they, where they come from? Do they come from Judea? Do they come from, from Galilee? Do they, they come as far away as Jerusalem? We don't know where these men came from. But they carried a man on a mat that has been paralyzed, a paralytic man. Now, think about it for a moment. Just imagine with me, worst case scenario, they came... From Jerusalem. Now, if it's a couple of days ride or drive or chariot or walking or however you would get from one place to the next, if it's a couple of days for a healthy person. How much further is it for an unhealthy person on a mat being carried? It might have taken three days. And they get to the door of wherever they are, and they get there, and it's packed out. There's no more room. They can't get in. But they came to bring this man to Jesus to be healed. Now, here's something that is absolutely important in this text, and you might miss it. Please don't. Look at the very next word of the very next verse, verse 19. But. But. What's the issue? But. Finding no way to bring him in. Now, I want to just stop right there, and I just want to say, and across this room today, I believe everyone has been passionate about something at some point in their life. But, but, they've encountered a but, uh, not, not a big but, maybe a bit, little but. I don't know what the but was, but there was a but in their world that stopped them right there. And you know, it's amazing how we can have this great passion, this great desire, these great ideas about getting this lame person or about starting this idea, about doing this thing, but. And buts for a non-passionate individual, they become excuses. But the place was crowded. They turned around, they took the lame man home and said, sorry, we couldn't get you in. Is that what they did? Not at all. You know the rest of the story. Many of y'all do. We'll go there in a moment. But I just want us to camp on the butt for a moment. And I want you to circle that word. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What has stopped me from the passionate life that God has called me to? What has stopped me from doing life-changing work? What has stopped me from the vision that God has put before me? Now, in the margin of my Bible, I put a butt to a passionate person is a creative problem-solving opportunity. All right? So, here's the question for you. Whatever butt 
has stepped into your life that is keeping you from moving forward? Is it an excuse? Or if you're a passionate individual, you have just turned that excuse into a a creative problem-solving opportunity. What is it for you? Are you going to be creatively solving the problem? Are you going to use that as your excuse to get off of your calling, off of your passion, off of your vision, off of your direction? Listen, this is a challenge that you're going to have to face, that I'm going to have to face. But these guys didn't stop there. It says, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. That's creative problem solving. There might, have been no, there, there might have been no access. It might have been a full house. Or they could have done something drastic by going up and ripping off the roof. Now what I see about this is that so many times what keeps us from moving forward in the vision that God has called us to are temporal limitations. And what we need to do if we have to tear a roof off is we need to tear them down. We need to remove them. We might need to do something drastic in our life. I, I, I challenge you to think about what is the but in your life and what is it that you need to change in your life. I've heard of people changing careers so that they could achieve a passion and a goal for their life. I've heard of people not even changing careers but going into their current career and becoming a change agent in their current career so that they can change a culture of an organization. Now imagine that. And maybe say, how do I do that? I'm just a team member. I'm not even the boss. I'm not... Lead from the middle. Find your voice. Change the culture in where you're at. I know people, I've met people, sadly, that they feel called of God to go internationally and to serve God on the other side of the world. But they are so racked with a debt that they can't go. An agency won't even talk to them. What a sad, tragic tale it is when we allow things to insert themselves, buts to insert themselves into the passion and the calling that God has for our lives. Here's a life principle for you. When your lifestyle impedes our obedience, when our lifestyle impedes our obedience, we are living in sin. You may not be a thief, a robber, you may not be a murderer, but if your lifestyle is keeping you from obeying, then you're living in sin. See, the question about what would you do if you had 30 days to live, it's a powerful question because it kind of interrupts the flow. It kind of causes us to help ask the question, what's important? What's what's really important? I've been all about this. I've been working 60, 70 hours a week. But is that really what it's about? I mean, think about it. Whatever it is, whatever is interrupted, the biggest and most important thing in your life, it also helps us identify obstacles. What out there is keeping us from being about what God's about? There are people in this room right now, and I'm not going to call them out. They would be embarrassed, and I know them, and I love them to death, and I won't do that. But I know them, they've downsized their home, they've changed jobs, they've gotten out of debt so that they can serve. 
so they can serve people who have been released from prison, so they can serve less fortunate children, under-resourced children in our community. They literally have changed their lifestyle. They've done something drastic so that they... And they tear apart tiles to the roof to get to Jesus. That's how passionate they were. The problem is, is that we meander in a pool of mediocrity instead of passionately pursuing what God's called us to. Number two. When you look at these guys, you have to you cannot miss the fact that they expected the unexpected. When you enter into this world and you live passionately, you're gonna live life a little bit on the edge. Again, people are gonna call you irrational, people are gonna call you a lunatic, maybe along the ways. You're you're gonna be challenged to to expect the unexpected. And when you look at these guys, a beautiful thing happens as Jesus gets airmail dropped into his lap. This paralytic man on a mattress, on a, on, a, on a mat, laying in front of him. And I want you to notice what Jesus does. This man who's a paralytic, this man who is sick, he turns right around to this man who is physically sick, and the very first thing he does is he heals him spiritually. I want you to hang on to that for a moment. To just realize this. We might come before Jesus at times in our life with this problem, but our greatest problem is over here. And we're not even aware of it. We're un- it's un- unbeknownst to us. We're in the dark on it. And what we need to do is we need to wake up and realize that God is going to do something in our life that, again, unexpected. He's going to touch us where we have our greatest need. It may not even be the first thing that we think. Now, He does go on and heal him physically. He shows His deity here. In fact, don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus was not God and didn't think he himself was God because you can even see in the encounter between the Pharisees the fact that Jesus was able to forgive a man's sin. The Pharisees, that just got all over them. The fact that Jesus did that was, was had to have stayed and established the fact that he knew he was God. He knew who he was. He knew he was God. But here's what I want us to focus on. Again, I'm not focusing on the argument and the debate between the Pharisees and Jesus. I'm focusing on these unnamed and unknown brothers. These guys did something drastic. These guys also expected the unexpected. And Jesus saw it. Look at verse 20. It says, And when he, Jesus, saw their faith. Circle the word saw if you have your Bible. Because I want you to understand, as I need to understand, as we all need to understand, that faith is not something merely we have. Faith is not merely a system of beliefs. Faith is something we live. Jesus saw these men's faith. He, it, was, it was tangible. It was a verb. It was an action. It was happening. It was going on. He saw them. Faith and obedience, they go hand in hand together. You, and listen, listen to this. You will never shortchange God when you walk in faith. Just, just mark it down. These guys put this man down in front of Jesus that he might be healed physically. And what happened? He was healed physically, but before he was healed physically, he was healed spiritually. See, you will always get more with God than you ever anticipated. You'll always get more with God than you ever gave to God. 
I have found that. Lori and I have found that out in all of our lives as, as married couples and even before we were married. That when we tithe, we can never outgive God. That when we give up a lifestyle, we can never outgive the joy that comes from this lifestyle to the lifestyle He's called us to. When God called us to Africa, it was a, it was a calling that we had people tell us, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. I could never do that. You could if God called you to. And if you were willing to go. We went and our kids, I'll tell you right now, we gave up television. We gave up comfort foods. We gave up air condition, which is really hard in Africa. We gave up a whole lot of the list of creature comforts in our life that we were used to and that you and I are still used to today. But I'll tell you right now, you talk to any of our three kids. In fact, even somebody asked us, are you taking your three kids with you? Absolutely. And we're going to drop them off here as orphans or something? Actually, at the time, we only had two kids. But here's, here's the point. We could never outgive him. We could never step out in faith that he didn't, he didn't give more back to us than we ever gave to him. Expect the unexpected. This, these guys brought you. Now, here's the problem with faith. Sometimes we're presumptuous, and sometimes fear keeps us from faith. In fact, these are tensions that are constantly pulling at one another. When we're presumptuous, we're running out ahead of God. We're saying, God, bless my work. You know, do what I bless what I'm doing. Do, bless what I'm choosing to do. That's being presumptuous in our faith. God, would you bless me? And when he doesn't bless it, then we get mad at God. Okay, that's just presumption. That's not faith. Then there's the other example. The other side of the tension is where fear keeps us from moving ahead. Moody said, fear clips the wings of faith. Fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear, fear of, the, of God not showing up, fear of me not manning up, fear of fear. Fear cripples us over here. Presumption cripples us over here. What we need to figure out is how to walk in faith. And what is faith then? Faith comes from a personal, deep, intimate love relationship with God Almighty. Whenever you're in this deep, personal, intimate love relationship with God and you see God working over here, you know that that God's working over here is now your invitation to join God in His work. Now, whenever you're joining God in His work, it's going to cause you to enter into a crisis of belief moment. That crisis of belief moment is going to challenge you because you're going to have to adjust your life, change your life, rearrange your life to operate in faith. When you do that, you experience God. You know God. You're walking in faith. Faith comes from a deep personal relationship with God. These guys were living out their absolute faith in Jesus Christ, and God was blessing them. I've started a study with 10 guys this past week called Experiencing God. And you've heard me talk about this study many, many times. But I just, I just want to say this. This is a study that I've gone through. I, I've lost count six to seven times. I've led groups through it at Grace Point three different times, okay? So it's, it's a constant part of, the, of my process because I realize the value that I get from this study. And it's a challenge for us to hear and know God's voice and to walk with Him in faith. And I want to raise up people where their life counts, where it really, really, really counts. And there are going to be people who are going to be living like these men, doing drastic things, 
expecting the unexpected. But number three, creating God's space. You've got to create God's space in your life. You want to see God in your money? Create God's space in your money. You want to, you want to see God uh, uh, um, working on, on your job? Create God's space on the job. You want to create uh, God? You want to see God working uh, in your family? Create God's space in your family. Create God's space. Now, what do these guys do? They brought this lame man. They couldn't get to Jesus, so they ripped off the part of the roof. They lowered the man down right, as it says in the Scriptures, right in the midst of Jesus. I don't know if he was teaching. I don't know what was flying all around as the dust was flying all around, but they made sure they created a space in the very presence of Jesus. Passionate people realize the power of creating God's space. Now, I, I realize this, that as we talk about reading and we talk about prayers, we talk about creating God's space, you say, Mike, you, don't, you just don't know the number of hours I work. You don't know what I've got to do. I just don't have time. If I had time, then I would. Time is how we measure life. Remember, don't waste time or you waste life. So here, listen, I don't have time for God. If I had more time, that's the number one excuse I hear. I just didn't, I, I overslept. Not managing time. I don't have time. I've got too much on my plate today. I can't stop for God. I don't have... Listen. The question is, the issue is, we don't have time for God, therefore we don't take time. Or we should reverse that and create God time, create God space, and let God increase our time. It's magical. It's mystical. I can't explain it to you. You still have 24-7. I still have 24-7. But God does this mystical, magical thing whenever I make sure there's time for Him in the beginning of every day. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says it like this. The fear of the Lord adds length to life. You want to lengthen your life? Lengthen that 24-hour period? Put fear of the Lord. Put reverence in there. Put time for God in there. Listen, Jesus even did this. Jesus got up. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that Jesus got up very early in the morning when nobody else was moving around, nobody else was stirring. He went away to a place of solitude, a place of silence, and there he prayed. Now, think about this for a moment. If God Almighty putting on flesh, dwelling among men, Jesus got up in the morning before everybody else and he spent time praying, shouldn't you? Unless you have figured out how to live a life more full, more free, more full of joy, uh, unless you've, I, I won't want your drinking if you are, okay? But, but other than that, you need to lean in and look at the life of Christ. Because this is a man who even though he is God, created God's space. We are challenging everyone in this room to take time, and we're even giving you the, providing the resource, if you, if you will, providing a guide, if you will, that you can have for the next 30 days time. There's books in the back. If you didn't get yours last week, there's books in the back. They're 10 bucks is what it cost us. They're back there. You can pick it up after the service. It's a 30-day book. One month to live. If you, you didn't start last week, start this week, all right? It doesn't matter. Just jump in there. Start spending the time with God. Create God's space. 
Passionate people do drastic things. Passionate people expect the unexpected because they're living life on the edge, okay? And, and they're living out that faith. And, and that faith is very visible as Jesus is able to see the faith in these guys. But, but, but people who are passionate people, they also create God's space. They can't do it on their own. They're going to do it because they're doing it with God. All right, number, number four, and I'm finished. Keep a constant reminder. As you journey out there, as you move out, and you become passionate about what God has called you to, make sure that you pick up things along the way. Collect elements in life. Journal it. Write it down. Lock in on it. Take a picture of it. And remember what God has done. It will give you the motivation the next time God calls you to live by faith and not walk by sight. Just step out there and live that kind of life. If you look at verse 24, you see how, how, these, how this kind of plays out in this guy's life. Again, the focus is on these men, this band of brothers and this paralytic. And in verse 24, it says that it said to this man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick uh, up your bed and go home. And verse 25 says, and immediately he rose up before them and he picked up he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home. I think what a beautiful story. Now I know it's just a mat, but you got to realize this mat was everything to this guy. He slept on this mat most likely. He probably wore this mat more than he wore the clothes that was on his back that day. This was his mat. He, he slept on this mat. He probably laid around all day on this mat, wondering if he would ever walk again, if he'd ever walked in his life. This mat was as much a part of him as the air you and I breathe. And God tells him to take up his mat and to take it home. And I could imagine that he went home and he beat it out and he shook it out as he's dancing around on his two legs. And he laid it up and he dried it and he washed it. And he, and he probably just looked back at that mat and he remembered the day of what God did because he had passionate brothers with him that wouldn't take no for an answer. They did drastic things. that walked by faith and Jesus saw their faith. They expected that unexpected, and, and God showed up. And They created God's space even when everybody else said there is no space. And God gave him his legs. See, the problem is we don't remember. 161 times in the Bible it tells us to remember. We don't remember well. Are you remembering? Are you, are you a person who's remembering what God is doing in your life? We, I've been saying all along through this message, make it count. Make your life count. We asked you last week to, to bring a t-shirt, all right? So here's the deal. You can see this fashion wear that I've got on. This is a homemade t-shirt, all right? On your way out today, if you want the challenge to be passionate about this life, because you only got one of these gigs, you want to be passionate about it? If you say, I'm ready to do something drastic. I'm ready to figure out what God's called me to. I, I want to go home. I want to make my life count for however long I have. I want to do that. Take your T-shirt out there, and we will ghetto silk screen it for you real quick. All right? And that's exactly what it is. All right? And so take it home with you and, and wear it. 
with excitement. Okay, if you didn't bring a t-shirt, you forgot a t-shirt, please don't take your shirt off out there, okay? But uh, we, we, we have a few t-shirts out there, so you can grab one of those. And we'll have some guys out there, or some people out there helping you. So just go outside when you leave today. But, you know, I, I, re- I heard a story from Donald Miller, who's a kind of a thought-provoking writer around today. And a mentor challenged him with this. And I think that's pretty good. Now listen to this statement. Listen to this. The mentor said to him, he said, imagine yourself 10 years from now. All right, everybody in this room, I want you right now, just imagine yourself 10 years from now. Okay? What age you'll be, where your kids will be, where you think you will be. Imagine yourself 10 years from now. And then he asked him this question. What do you wish you had done by then? That's the best thing you can do to living a life of no regrets. Is start mapping out your life right now. And say, you know what, 10 years from now, I want to have this, I want to be there, I want to have accomplished this, I want to impact whatever that is. You'll probably see some things in there that are pretty hedonistic, pretty self-centered. Well, hopefully you can shrink those down a little bit and add in some value, some purpose, some God impact elements, and then start living your life to that end. Think about it. This starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Start today, if you don't have one of those, passionately pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to give my life to you. I want to trust you as my Savior. I want you to meet my spiritual need, not just my physical needs. I come to you maybe because of my physical needs, but I'm coming to you because of a deep spiritual need in my heart. Tell him. And then step out from that and start living a life that will count.